Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong, the host of this podcast. Now, Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with anybody in the public eye and I have a bit of a chat with them about their lives and their careers, but notably their vulnerabilities, because I want to learn what the word Headstrong means to them. Now, this series is entirely devoted to cricket and is called An Innings With We have had some fantastic guests and some fantastic stories, honesty and openness, which has been fantastic. And this episode is also in that same breath. I have the wonderful Sarah Taylor joining me today. And I really have to say that this is a very inspiring episode because Sarah really opened up with her experiences with mental health. I'm not actually going to say too much more about it. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. On this series as well, we are supporting the incredible Ruth Strauss Foundation and the podcast this series is sponsored by McGill and Partners and Ascot Group. If you would like to donate to the Ruth Strauss Foundation, please text RSF10 to 70191. That is to donate £10 to the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Now, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. So where do I find you at the moment on this Saturday afternoon, morning, in fact? In Eastbourne. Very nice. On a lovely day. Grey skies. Very grey skies. <laughs> good um, conditions for cricket. Very good conditions. Perfect day to bowl. Yeah. But no, you find me very well. That is delightful to hear. Yes. I mean, we are talking 
as the new series, new season has pretty much just kicked off, I suppose, M- to many That's cricket true. fans' delight, um, probably missed out on a fair amount of cricket last year. And you have joined the Sussex coaching staff. I have. I, To be honest with you, I've been watching every day on the old live stream, um, like a complete badger and a little bit of a proud staff member. 100%. Boys. Yeah, because they're, they're quite young. You've got some old ones in there, but they are quite young. So it's nice to see them doing well. A couple of, well, I think... One debutant, and uh, yeah, it's been good fun watching them. That's really, really exciting for you. I mean, how did that that come about then? How who who came knocking on whose door? Um, it's a very good question. I'll just claim that it was all them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I was with them last season. Actually, I was lucky enough. So, if you look at the two head coaches, you've got uh, Ian Salisbury and James Kirtley, mm-hmm. and they were actually at the time that I was playing for England. Uh, Ian Sauls, we did a stint with the Spinners, and James Kirtley, I've obviously known for years because of Sussex, but um, he did a stint with our bowlers. Um, so I'd known I'd known them for quite a while, and uh, James Kirtley is a, a massive, well, they both are actually a massive advocate for sort of the mental health side of things. So um, I was very keen to just kind of see how Sussex operated in that regard, and um, he was keen for the for the guys to have someone to talk to. And that was pretty much how it started. So they sort of invited me over last summer. And then I ended up working with some of the academy keepers, which then it was, oh, well, while you're here, you might as well work with Brownie. So it kind of ended up like that. And I guess when you're a coach, you just need one little nugget into um, one player. And then all of a sudden they want to work with you a little bit more. And then that was it. And then here we are, contract later. And I'm part of the staff. But I, I, I did work with them all summer. Um, no, no, of course. But it's like, a, that's exciting that it came from, you know, just like a, a small piece and just it's kind of snowballs into a kind of a solidified position. Yeah, it was really nice. Actually. I mean, it was and a, a genuine shock. I didn't think there was going to be any kind of permanent role. I thought it was going to be a bit more towards the pathway because um, mm. I did see a lot more with the academy guys. But um, yeah, Brownie was happy. You've got Phil Salt there as well. You've got some of the academy guys. One of them's just got a, a rookie contract. Um, in the pro side so that means I kind of follow him there as well so yeah there's a lot of keepers coming through Um, but yeah it's nice it's nice to have that kind of solid position but from your perspective though as well I mean what a way to lead from the front taking on such a role within the men's team and I'm right in saying that this is you're the first woman to take on a wicket-keeping coaching role in the professional men's game Um, and that's that's um, I'm incredibly excited for you and hopefully this is an immense start and, and opportunity for further progress yeah, I mean, look, I didn't, um, I think because I was with them last summer, I didn't mm. actually think, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't, even, I didn't even think anything of it. Um, and that sounds awful. But um, it was only until I did an interview and it was pointed out to me that I was the first. Mm. And I thought, I am. That's, that's so bizarre. Because it was never kind of a, apparently I joked saying that I wanted to become a female coach in the men's game about a year ago. I don't remember this joke. Darn um, press. <laughs> but I did it, tick. Um, so the joke came true. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think I've said it before. I, I won't be, I'm, I'm the first yet, but I will not be the last. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination. I think that, um, there's a lot of female cricketers currently playing and others who have retired that can definitely, uh, help players within the men's game and, and hopefully join a team themselves. 
Most definitely. I want to talk about that side of things, um, but we're gonna, I'm going I'm to do that towards the end of the podcast, if that's okay. And I'm going to kind of work through things a little bit more chronologically. And I want to spin things back a little bit. Uh, that was a terrible pun, not intended, actually. Um, and explore your, your childhood and growing up um, and, and where you grew up. So you were, you were born and bred Sussex. Born in Whitechapel, London, actually, okay. yes. But relocated, yes, down to the south. Um, yeah, Seaford girl, really. Um, <laughs> I was a tennis player, really. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so I went to so the school I'm currently working at. I went, there, went to their prep school, um, and I was a tennis scholar, uh, weirdly enough. And now I can't stand tennis. Um, that's so that often was, how it works isn't it oh I'll tell you what the parents god they're so mean um yeah so I ended up um yeah going to bead school beads prep school till I was about 13 and Brighton College Brighton College were very very good at cricket at the time women's cricket because they had Claire Connor captain of England at the time she was teaching English there I got a Claire Connor cricket scholarship um and they promised me that I'd never have to pick up a tennis racket again so <laughs> off I went uh straight to to beat that 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 your your ears must have pricked up you're like no no tennis again happy days no tennis bye bye beads hello Bryant College that was pretty much it I'm curious to ask j- just purely from a personal perspective were you left or right-handed tennis right-handed yeah okay interesting Very interesting um <laughs> Um, what was that uh, school sports system like then? So you mentioned there that you had the captain of England women's cricket teaching at school. So you had that kind of support from probably from a very personal, on a very personal level. But what was the institutional support like? Um, Brighton College. Um, look, we had, luckily my tutor was the um, head coach of the first team, the first boys team and John Spencer actually he's a Sussex legend um and yeah so that was good and he was brilliant with me he was unbelievable we obviously took there was a lot of stick that we got as girl cricketers playing in the boys game at school there was two of us myself and Holly Colvin um and he was really really good at managing expectation and um pushing us as much as we needed to be pushed bearing in mind we were pulled kind of pillar to post doing academies um regional stuff england development stuff we were literally all over the place um and um yeah he was brilliant he was brilliant i did struggle at school mentally um with the work side of things but the cricket always took care of itself how did you find that balance then between kind of the you know the 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 necessity for the academic side of things to you know continuing your passion and what leads to your career in the sporting side of things, how did you find that balance? And, and indeed mentally, as you say there, um, I think I struggled actually. If I, it's one of those things where you don't realize you're kind of doing it at the time, but I was avoiding a lot. Um, mm. and that was socially school wise. Um, when I was younger, just because cricket was the focus and that was what was my comfort zone. And if I genuinely look back and assess everything that I was doing as a child, I, I like I say, I avoided a lot. Um, any kind of situations where I found uncomfortable speaking in class, I avoided. I skipped, I skipped classes a lot. My mum knows this. It's fine. I can mention it. Um, <laughs> and it was purely, if I now look back at it, it was the anxiety of, of 
being rubbish and um, not being as good as everyone else. So I really, really struggled with that side of things um, and ended up um, doing my last year at Brighton College pretty much uh, not in the way that you probably should at Brighton College where you turn up at 8.20 and then assemblies and chapels and and then leaving at at six o'clock I wasn't I turned up when my class was and then left when I didn't have any other classes so um there was that kind of struggle in there but um yeah it was interesting time I mean you say that you felt like that you were rubbish in in, from that academic side of things was it I mean is that genuinely the case or is that that self-doubt coming in and you know as anxiety builds and you know you start to as I always say your own mind is your worst enemy because you know you're constantly churning those thoughts through and then you put as you say avoid something else and put something else off and then you actually think you're worse than you actually are do you think that that was was the case as well yeah I I vividly remember um an English it was kind of like an art essay go with it um talking about historical painting but the english oh i i couldn't even tell you why we were doing it um and we had to basically prepare this essay stand up in front of class um, and talk about it i can tell you now to this day i never wrote one word i didn't i didn't even attend the english lessons for about three weeks just to avoid that purely because I didn't want to be bad. I didn't want to say something I shouldn't. And because of that, I genuinely think that I sort of trickled into absolutely everything else. That actually, I've managed to avoid that. So I've enhanced the anxiety almost. And, and then I couldn't look back. I couldn't confront it um, head on and say, actually, it wasn't that bad. It, it, like, you've just made that into nothing. Uh, made that into something because you avoided it so you've made it bigger than it should have been and mm. and I have learned that obviously um looking back um that I've done that quite a lot throughout um, my life so far I just avoided things and made them massive when actually if I'd just hit them head on um would have been easier so would you say your kind of subconscious but also you know conscious decision to continue to play lots of cricket at school was your coping mechanism yeah, I could hide in that. I could hide in, oh, I can't, sorry, I can't do this. I've got cricket later. Or, um, sorry, I can't go to this party because I've got cricket training in the morning. Um, it was, so that sort of social anxiety managed to creep up because I kind of let it. I kind of let myself avoid all those situations rather than just going there and enjoying myself. Mm. Um, and that was just a fear of comparison. Um, you know, I was a sporty looking type. I didn't look like the girls at school. I felt different. Even though they loved me for me, um, I felt very different. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of um, non-balancing um, of kind of my, my life when I was younger, I guess. Sure. So let's talk about then the Brighton College first eleven. As you said there, your tutor was the, the coach, which is immensely helpful in terms of the support as well. But there was... There were comments from the MCC chairman at the time when you and your, your pal Holly were both, um, I, I nearly said cast there, I was, it got my actor's head on, when you were picked to, to play the first 11. Um, how, how did you reflect on that and that, those kind of comments? Because wholly ridiculous and unnecessary because you are picked there on merit and merit alone and as a player. And is that, was that disheartening for you and Holly? Or how, how do you reflect on that? I actually reflect on that quite well and 
and I'll explain why in, in a second, um, which is the funny side. Um, but at the time, um, our head coach responded straight away saying that these girls are picked on merit. Um, if they weren't good enough, they wouldn't be in my team. Mm. And because we'd played, so obviously at, um, at our school, once you hit 16, you were in the first, seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths. Whereas before that, you're in like the under 15s or the under 14s. That's how it worked. So um, I had been in that first team for a few years um, leading up to that point. So I'd played cricket with those guys since I was 14. And I, there had been no issues me playing in those teams. It's all of a sudden because it became a first 11 at a private school. It was then a massive thing. Um, but... So, so, yeah, so I felt unbelievably supported by my team and my team were my best mates. Um, they saw me as basically another one of the lads almost and they protected me and they protected me. Um, I remember playing one school. Um, my mother will tell you this. Uh, one of the guys came out of the changing room from the opposition wearing my school skirt, um, like running around in my school skirt. Um, and all of a sudden, I had 10, 11 brothers sort of defending me to this guy. And so all of a sudden, when comments like that come out from Robin Marler, I literally, it didn't, it didn't bother me because he, he had his opinion. Everyone has their opinion, but I was there on merit. I was scoring runs. I was taking catches. I was taking stumpings. Um, and Holly was bowling brilliantly at the time. But I did meet him um, <laughs> not long after at the MCC Awards. Um, I can't even remember the award now, I've got it somewhere. Uh, the MCC, I think, was the most promising young player of the year or something like that. I was there with Sam Northeast, um, James Taylor, I was there with. So, uh, and to be fair to him, he, <laughs> he did make a speech and say that he put his foot quite firmly in his mouth. Um, so that was quite hard. That was nice to hear. He knew that he'd made a mistake. Um, but yeah, poor guy. Uh, yeah, I actually feel quite sorry for him now. Well, it's one of those things, I suppose. I mean, everyone is allowed an opinion and it's become even more so with the media and so forth. You know, everyone has something to say and ultimately that's what they're there for, I suppose. Um, well, be it right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You've got a job to do, I suppose. And if you know you're there on merit, that's, that's good enough, I suppose. Yeah, it was good. And I think I probably could have learned a few lessons from that, looking back. Well, you were young. It's fine. I was young. I was young. Now, you've actually taken my next question out, out of my mouth because I, I wanted to talk about your, the camaraderie within that first 11 team. And it sounds like that it was a, a band of brothers with their sisters, you know, and that's, that's wonderful to hear that you had such support because I, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to know if there was any tension or friction, but that sounds... Like, it was a really supportive atmosphere together. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. The first year, it was a bit like, oh, there's a girl in the team. That, and that was, we were under 14. So, like, we were 13. Um, you can forgive. Um, and even for me, I was a little quite shy. Um, believe it or not. And they, we grew up together. They, they were my best mates. I am still mates with them now. So, it's... Yeah, they def they would defend us until we we're blue in the face. Like until they were blue in the face, it was um, nothing but support from Brighton College. That team that I played in went to Sri Lanka with them. Um, you know, I've had some of the best uh, cricket memories just from those five years at Brighton College. Really, so 
Um, yeah. They're they're a good bunch, I'll give them that. A good bunch, well, I'm I'm pleased to hear it. This series is brought to you by two magnificent sponsors, Ascot Group and McGill & Partners. Ascot Group is a global speciality insurance and reinsurance group with a record of underwriting excellence and superior claims service. Founded in 2001, the company provides a broad range of property and casualty solutions to customers worldwide through its platforms in London, Bermuda and the United States. Ascot is a long-standing supporter of charities with a link to sport, including ongoing sponsorship of the Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby Club. With a recent increase in mental health awareness, the company is particularly proud to support Headstrong Season 5 and Innings With, which focuses on the psychological well-being challenges that arise from professional sports. McGill & Partners is a boutique insurance broker helping corporate clients find specialist solutions for their most challenging and complex risks. Growing rapidly since its launch in 2019, the company operates in the UK, Europe and the United States and prides itself on working with some of the biggest companies in the world. And you can find out more on their website, mcgillpartners.com. McGill & Partners understands high performance and the mental health challenges that can be associated with it, regardless of the industry people are working in. The company is fully committed to their employees' well-being and are delighted to be sponsoring the Headstrong podcast series. It is also delighted to support the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Thank you to these two wonderful sponsors. Now, there's another... This is another... um, side of things that I, I, I found as well. You were the first woman to chosen to play men's grade cricket in Australia. Now that's another title, so to speak, and another accolade. When you hear things like this, you know, you're the first this, the first that, are you proud of that fact or are you astounded of the fact that it take, took so long for the game to allow it to happen? Um, both, I would say. Um... Look, I think I think I'm lucky in regards to the fact that wicket keeping kind of lends itself to that. Um, there's been, I think, Car- I think Karen Rolton played B grade in Adelaide. She was an unbelievable batsman. Um, but yeah, I think keeping lends itself to the fact that you know I'm there behind the stumps. I just catch a cricket ball, um, which is very simply put. <laughs> Don't doubt Very it. simply put. Very very simply put. Um, but look, I think because I played, you know, first team cricket, I played boys cricket going up. Um, I trained with all the academy. Like, so some of the guys that I'm in the Sussex team with now, you know, I grew up in the academy with, which is a little bit odd. But um, so the idea of playing boys and men's cricket didn't, didn't bother me at the time. And again, I was like, well, why is this a big deal? I, d- I didn't understand. Um, and I did try and keep it low profile. I said, can we not have any media? Can I just play for, just enjoy it? Um, and that didn't happen, um, which is a little bit annoying. But um, yeah, it, it does astound me actually that it's taken so long. There has been some phenomenal female cricketers, you know, past and present. I, I don't understand how, I guess also timing. I, I mean, I was lucky enough. That I was out there for six months at the time um, playing in the WNCL and then I had to wait a little bit until the T20, yeah, until the Big Bash kicked off. I think it was the first year. So I had a little bit of time to play club cricket um, and then got that opportunity, but I don't think the girls that are kind of professional cricketers now have that opportunity. But, um, 
I think they should. They absolutely should. Absolutely. We'll, I will come back on to talk about that most definitely. But let's, I want to dive into your England career. I mean, you made your debut at 17, which for a 17 year old, any 17 year old, that's pretty mad, you know, to imagine playing for your country at such an age. But with that comes probably the, the, the pressures and, and, and indeed, as you say, the anxieties with it. Did you feel this weight at such an age or was it actually the excitement and the experience of it at first? Yeah, I don't think I felt anything. Like I said, it was my comfort zone. I mm. felt like I was ready um, in a weird way. Or I was just kind of riding the wave. Um, I was young. I was naive. I was stupid, cocky, arrogant. Um, Did that help you? Yes. I've, I've been trying to get that girl back. Like, not in a horrible off-the-field way, but in an on-the-field, I need that confidence, that cockiness, mm. that... Um, dismissiveness almost I've been trying to to kind of get that back in myself and um I didn't I didn't yeah I had a lot of that I didn't feel any anxieties whatsoever it was just all fun I was there with my mates playing um you know against some of the best cricketers in the world Catherine Fitzpatrick she was rapid um yeah playing against Australia and I was just loving it. it was just a really really nice time in my life um and I think for the people that played with me then to then all of a sudden deal with the issues that I had later on is a massive shock to their system um because I was that bubbly carefree um just go with the flow kind of person well I suppose when you strip strip everything down and you reflect on the past year for example and specifically this past year and we look at the the cricket touring that has been allowed to happen with covid bubbles it is just a game of cricket and it's just a bunch of people out there playing a sport that people want to see and people want to play. Yeah. Uh, and that's the glories of what we need to remember, I suppose. And I suppose where, where you're coming from. Exactly. Like, it's almost like you say, stripping it back. I've had to completely strip it back. Um, I put too much pressure on me, on uh, my friendships almost. Uh, like that there was, that it was unhealthy. It was almost... Um, I kind of hid from people because I didn't want to ruin anything. Um, it, it was, yeah. But actually, look, I just want to play some cricket. Like, that's all I want. And I want to enjoy the cricket. And I was so conscious of doing badly in the cricket because of people's opinions. So it was always, it was always everything to do with everything else bar cricket. Um, even if I did badly, what does it matter? Like, I'm trying my hardest. Mm. But I didn't see that back then. Of course not, of course. But you, at the start of your England career, England, the team, saw some immense success and indeed personal, personal success as well. And you were on this trajectory of greatness as a, as a team and on that, on that individual level. Did you find that you had that challenge then together to sustain such a level? And was there added pressure for that? And did that lead to kind of this bubbling within yourself? Yeah, a little bit. Look, I, I think... Um... I was allowed a little bit of a free reign. They whacked me up the top of the order um, and said, look, just go and have fun, which was perfect for me. I didn't have any responsibilities. People beneath me would go and um, finish the game off whilst I just threw my bat around at the top of the order and just had a lot of fun. Um, and I loved it. And there was, oh, look, we had Claire Taylor, we had Charlotte Edwards, um, we had Beth Morgan, Lydia Greenway, we had, um, we just, Jenny Campbell, like we had some of the best players in the world at the time. And I was just a little kid and I could just enjoy it. Um, and yeah, like you say, with that success, we were like putting markers out every time. We were like, right, okay, well, we can, 
we've done well there. How far can we go now? Come on, let's keep going. And we were always looking behind saying, okay, well, who's coming up behind us that there could be an issue? Um, and then all of a sudden, I think we sort of stopped putting the markers out or we couldn't go any further as a team. And I think that's a team cycle. That happens, that absolutely happens. Everyone kind of hits their limit within that team. Um, and then all of a sudden there's retire, like people retire and then you have to build again. And by that point of the building, someone else has passed you and Australia took past us. Um, and I think they're natural cycles in teams, but I don't think we dealt with it very well. Um, and yeah, from a personal point of view, I think, um, I, like you say, it was kind of a trajectory up. And I was very aware that at some point I was going to come down with a bang. Um, and I think I was too focused on that, like worrying about coming down with a bang rather than kind of enjoying the, the moments that were up there, I think. Now, this, this podcast is, is, is rooted in mental health, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today. Something that I've spoken to a few of the previous guests about is the word loneliness uh, and something that does kind of, uh, kind of a word that does hang around certainly on, on long tours because quite specifically perhaps more this year for some cricketers who are away in COVID bubbles without their families. How do you reflect on, on, on the word loneliness and reflecting on your time when you were playing? I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, like you say, you're away for so long. I felt utterly lonely the last three years of my career. Um, I felt like I'd actually probably began with all of that success a few years before because I then felt different again. I felt a little bit further away from my mates than I should. And, um, and I truly believe that was probably my own doing. I, push myself away to sort of protect myself just in case anything kind of came um, out of it. But my last three years, yeah, I was incredibly lonely. Um, go to training, come back to my room, stay there all night, room service. Um, yeah, again, avoided friendships, avoided people, avoided media, avoided expectation, avoided, tried to avoid cricket at times, avoided training. Um, and that was a, I'd say three years it was probably about four or five I did take a break didn't I um yeah I was incredibly lonely uh cricket can sometimes unfortunately lend itself to that but um I, I think it's yeah it's quite apparent in in kind of the modern game given how long we are away we I mean we don't see our families we're obviously not as away as long as the men are um but we obviously don't see our families within that um, unless they make the decision to come on over. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I can understand that feeling. I can genuinely kind of, of empathise. Of course. I mean, you mentioned there as well, your, your break in 2016 that you took from the game, which was an important, important decision for yourself. And ultimately, as we've said, cricket is just a game and actually you have to put your life and your health first in, from, a, from a personal perspective, most definitely. For those, for those listening that, that don't know, can you, can you just briefly say... Um, what, what, what you were experiencing at this time in your career and, and the reasons for this, this decision and break from professional sport? Yeah, look, I, I think I was going a little bit in a downward spiral that I didn't really understand in towards the back end of 2015. Um, I, think I, was, I think I'd got another award. Uh, see, it all stems from too much. Uh, I was doing too well. Um, so to the back, back end of 2015, I think I became number one T20 player in the world. And we were walking into... A T20 World Cup in 2016 
And I, yeah, I was going in there as number one and I felt different from the girls. I, I just, like I said, locked myself away. Expectation was so high. I couldn't cope with it. Um, and I was walking out to, I think we did the national anthem and I couldn't get my breath. I thought I was going to pass out, which I obviously know now was a panic attack, but I didn't understand what it was at the time. Um, the heat was really getting to me, which also obviously can be something of a, a trigger and a panic. And um, I was trying to deal with that and didn't really understand what was going on whilst trying to live up to that expectation of being number one in the world. And it got to the end of the tournament and I realised I hadn't spent one evening out of my room um, to a point where a couple of the players had to come and say, is everything all right? Um, which made me when think, oh God, I think something's wrong here. Um, and then the coach, Mark Robinson, said, I think something potentially could be wrong. Um, just just keep an eye on yourself, um, which I was very grateful for those three people for, for mm. saying something. Um, and then when I did get back, I obviously had a terrible tournament. I don't even think I averaged over 10. I had a terrible tournament um, just because I mentally just couldn't deal with it. I was running off to be sick. I was panicking all the time. but didn't understand why. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting development in my life. And I think we must have got back end of March. So cricket season was coming in. Went to pick up. I was, I was down in Devon. Went to put my cricket bag in the car. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I was playing Sussex and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't lock my... I just couldn't do anything to do with cricket. Burst out into tears. Um rung Sussex and they were brilliant and I said look I just don't think I can do this um rung England and they were like perfect we can get you the help you need because I've learned now that you, it's the person that needs to accept that there's something wrong before you can help them like you you, you almost wait like waiting there ready to catch them and England were and they were absolutely brilliant and they'd already had things in place to help me they just needed me to say that that kind of something's wrong um and yeah and that led to me making a, a tough decision to say look my health comes first and wasn't really brief that was it sorry um uh yeah um yeah my health comes first and cricket is very much secondary so it was the best decision I made um for me uh, but yeah tough time obviously. absolutely I mean you you talked about the, your couple of players there that came into your into your into your hotel room and then of course Mark Robinson who was coaching you at the time how important is that support network and indeed in fact the, the England team as you said uh, the England kind of setup, having that support as well. How important is that support network in, in place in any in any shape or form? Be that from the coaches, your players, or indeed the actual um, the whole kind of t- um, what's the word I'm looking for? The whole the form formation of the England setup. How important is it to have that support network? It's huge. Like if I talk about it, I'm quite. I look at it and I know that I'm blessed that I had that support network. I know a lot of people don't have that. Um, I spoke to a lot of people that do not have that. They they literally just have themselves and potentially, I don't know, a GP that they're talking to about trying to get help. And then there's a massive waiting list, isn't there? So I knew that I knew that I was in a very privileged position. Um, hence why I sort of took it with open arms, but look, those girls were brilliant. They were worried about me. Um, and if they hadn't have spoken up and if Mark Robinson hadn't have said anything, I, I wouldn't have realised that something was wrong and that needed to be addressed. Um, and yeah, look, the structure at ECB um, to help me, they help with my contracts, they help with my 
they put me straight into CBT and they'd already had that person there ready for me to see. Um, look, I was extremely, extremely lucky. Um, and I urge any business really to, to have that set up ready. Um, because it was invaluable, absolutely invaluable. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of lessons were learned from all of us. Like, don't get me wrong. It wasn't 100% perfect, but my word, we had, like, I believe that if any of the girls are struggling, I know that, you know, they're being taken care of and that the right people are there to be able to do what they need to do. So, yeah, I think it's so utterly important to have that set up. And just touching on something that you also previously mentioned, I think that the most difficult stage in anything like this is indeed the one to say, actually, I'm not okay. I need to be the one to make this decision. That's the most scary decision of all. But how, how much of a weight off your shoulders was it when you actually did pick up that phone? And after the phone call, you went, right, I've now got, got that help and support. I mean, it's the most difficult decision to say I need help, but the most rewarding. Yeah, look, it takes, it takes you months, doesn't it, of dread to, mm. to get to that point. Um, look, I had loads of things to consider, like my contracts, like my income, my car, my, my flat. I had all of these to consider. Um, and I thought if I just said one thing on the phone of, like, I'm not okay, I don't want to play cricket at the minute, I need help, that my whole world would just come crumbling down. Um, it didn't. Uh, all that happened was everyone rallied around me. Um, and like you say, there's that massive relief that actually I've made the right decision. This is, this is actually the right decision. Am I fearful of what people are going to say? Yes. Was it a bit of an odd time because I think Charlotte Edwards had just retired? Yep. Looked like I'd just sort of gone off in a half. Um, but it was, it was absolutely the right decision. I will look back with pride, really, that I was strong enough to be able to say, I'm not right here. There's, there's something wrong. Um, my anxiety is going into agoraphobia. That's still going on now. Um, there is a lot of battles that I need to, to fix. Um, but yes, I am. Yeah, it was a massive weight. I can tell you that right now. Just also not having to play for Sussex. It sounds awful, but I didn't, I just didn't want to play cricket. Um, and Sussex was obviously the team at the time and I felt terrible just for Sussex, but you feel bad about everyone else. You're so worried about what everyone else thinks that you forget about yourself. And it was just a moment where I'd stopped and actually thought about myself. Well, if anything, you actually started the conversation off for a number of other people. And you've started conversations that have led to even more progression in, in, this, in this field, um, which we'll come on to as well, particularly with Sussex and the ECB, which is immensely incredible, really. I mean, the, girl, the, girl, I mean, look, the girls were brilliant. We had, um, it was almost like a circle of truth, and, which is absolutely, utterly terrifying. Um, but it was disguised very well because we were going to talk about the brain and how the brain functions. And then towards the end of it, about an hour in, it ended up as a discussion where the girls were asking me questions about how I was feeling um, and how my brain works compared to theirs. Or if I'm looking like this, don't just assume that I'm happy. Like, and, and it was almost a really, really nice discussion. And then all of a sudden, because obviously I was a senior player in the, at the time and all of a sudden you get the younger players coming through going, okay, so that's quite normal to feel that way. Mm. Um, and it, it then kind of spreads through and all you want to do is make that person happy. 
And you're only ever going to really remember how you feel. In whatever situation, you're only ever going to remember how you feel. So I can say, yes, I won this World Cup, that World Cup, this Ashes. But actually, how did I feel at the time? That's what I remember. Um, So it's, yeah, these girls have been brilliant. The ECB have put some amazing things in place in order to help uh, the current crop of players that are in there. Um, and then Sussex, Sussex for me are leading in, in what they're trying to do and um, are very, very lucky to be a part of that. And I think we should keep talking, absolutely. I think it's really normal to keep talking and we should. From from learning from your own experiences then and looking back at the ref- the reflective side of things, are you aware now then of your own triggers and what you can do to manage your own uh, mental health? Yes, I've probably got a list somewhere. But, um, and that's but, great. What, what, are your, what are your techniques, though, if you, don't, if you don't mind sharing? What keeps, what helps you yourself maintain and keep in check? Look, uh, sleep is a massive one for me. If I have a lack of sleep, um, that's, yeah, it, it, it's an all kind of trigger. If, if I have a bad night's sleep, I will then reflect on that bad night's sleep. I know that if I've got a, a speaking thing to do or something that's probably... Uh, can be sometimes as simple as going out for dinner I will struggle with the idea um, that I may not get through that dinner or I won't have the mental capacity because I'm tired in order to deal with an issue that could be going on later that day and um, so sleep is a massive one for me sometimes heat can be a trigger um, if I'm too hot obviously playing abroad was was good fun um, look so like I said it's agoraphobia isn't it sometimes for me so actually being too far away from my car because I know that that's an escape route out that can that can sometimes be for me so I never the last few years of my career I didn't go on the coach I also always drove myself to the ground and the the girls went on the coach which in hindsight obviously I needed that (laughs) in order to get to the ground but again made me feel different so it it was a real kind of like tough balance to get um but yeah look food food's a massive one for me um, I do take CBD oil, um, turmeric. I've had my turmeric shot this morning. <laughs> um, there's loads of little things that, that I'm putting in place that I've realised give me energy. And I think that's, that's what I need in order to deal with these problems because I think agoraphobia can cause you to obviously stay in your house and that can cause you to be quite lethargic. You just want to sit on your sofa all day and do nothing. Um, but... And then, and then in turn, I then cannot deal with some sort of issues um, that could potentially be coming my way because I don't have the mental energy, I think, to do it. And that's how I look at it. I look at it as mental energy. We have physical energy, but I need mental energy. So sleeping gives me mental energy. Um, turmeric, for some reason, and CBD, they work for me. They give me mental energy to be able to deal with things. Um, but, um, yeah, there is there's some interesting things I'm still learning about myself. And um, because I'm more grounded, because I have my job, because I have my Sussex job, I feel like I'm in a better place to be able to and have more mental energy in order to deal with with the cricket now. Um, So, yeah, I hope that makes sense. No, it completely makes sense. And I think you're absolutely right. Everyone has their own unique approach as well. And I think CBD has actually become very important for a lot of people, actually, particularly sports people um, who 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 are using it as well. And what I can what I can gauge from you as well is you're now very comfortable talking about your own experiences because there's nothing better we can do than talk about it. And I think this has led to 
the immense work that Sussex are doing with the Cricket Mental Health and Wellbeing Hub, which you have been a part of and helped drive through. I mean, what an amazing platform. I mean, have you had all that support come through and, and reflected to you? Look, it's been, yes, look, it's been nothing but amazing, that hub. There's thousands and thousands of videos on there from everyone from all walks of life there there is anyone you can see on there from any subject you literally just type in the subject of what you're feeling and boom there's thousands of videos um and Sussex have worked for a good few years trying to get all these videos packaged up and together um and there's a few of my friends in there and I've watched and you think I had no idea I had absolutely no idea um so you just I applaud these people for, for coming forward and um, sharing some really tough times. There are some hard videos in there, um, but it just shows that you can go through these tough times, but, but pick yourself up, keep going, um, and things will get better. And I think Sussex are leading in that. I think this is, yes, it's a Sussex mental health and wellbeing hub, but look, I think it should be a, a national um, kind of cricket or every county or every region or every no, franchise if you want to um should have something in place that that has this um the avenue for these people that need to talk or that need help and need to visualize and see what's just to kind of compare themselves sometimes and actually say okay well that sounds really familiar to me I want to get the help that they did and then there's links and links of help that they can get and support that they can get um, so I'm massively massively proud um, to be a part of that and um, what Sussex, yeah, to be part of what they're doing. Um, my, I was, all of my help came from the ECB. Sussex have supported me in my support with the ECB. Um, but yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm extremely proud of Sussex. And they're doing great work. As you say, they are definitely at the, form of, uh, the forefront of, of this mental health conversation, which is really important. And furthermore, from a personal perspective as well, your role at Beads uh, at school Firstly, as a sports development coach, but what really interested me was a life, life skills coach. And I think that that sounds like an incredibly amazing and fulfilling role because you're supporting young men and women in the formative stages of their education and sporting careers, be that from exploring a passion or indeed leading into a career. That just sounds like an immensely, immensely rewarding role for you. How have you found that role since you started? I mean, it's been amazing. I, you don't... Like, I'm so amazed at how open these kids are to, to talking about things that I, ne- I never spoke about. I, that was a weakness when I was a kid. You couldn't talk about some of this stuff. Whereas, actually, they are so open. And I think um, just trying, like you say, they've got such young minds and they're talking of things that are like above their year. They don't talk about that. That's not, uh, that's not your worry. But actually, these things are, are relevant nowadays and everyone has their own reality. Um, and to try and help them navigate through their, their own realities is unbelievably rewarding. Um, I, I coach cricket, yes, I do, absolutely, at the school. But that's the side, the passion for me is obviously the wicket-keeping, but um, is seeing these kids go through that journey and coming through the other side. And it could literally just vary, vary from, I don't know, what nutrition it could literally be nutrition um to all of a sudden you know things at home and you all of a sudden you're you're quite humbled and it, it keeps me very grounded um and the kids are amazing um it's so fulfilling 
And I love the fact that the school have taken this approach. Bede's school is very, they look at the holistic side of things. Um, which is becoming which, more and more important absolutely. in every, every school. Absolutely. Look, you've got some schools out there that are very um, academically driven, which is absolutely fine. I think they fail sometimes looking at the kids' mental well-being. Um, a lot of these schools that drive and drive and drive the academic side of things, these kids get to uni and they're already burnt out by the time they've walked through the door um, and they end up leaving. And because they're mentally, they're just, they're, they've not been looked after. So at Beads, we will always try and drive the academic side, but actually we know full well that the mental health of that child is a lot more important. Um, and that's why it was a massive draw for me to go there. Really. I think as you, as you said there as well, with the, these children are talking about things that are probably far for far, you know shouldn't be a concern to them at this stage but actually with the development and with society and the way that the you know the global reaches you know the world has just become smaller ultimately and everything more accessible and you can learn about things from a much younger age so ultimately it become comes onto their plate at a lot younger age so i think you're absolutely right it is far more important important now to put that mental side of things at the front of your education alongside the academic side of things and alongside the sporting side of things. They always they all come hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there's expectation is probably one of the biggest things that we speak about. And um, that, that comes in academics, that comes in sport. That's just life, social media, how you look like it's all there. It's all expectation. Um, and I think uh, a lot of these young kids nowadays need um, help with that they need help to to manage those expectations and that is probably sums up what I do I manage their expectations of themselves um, and manage you know how they think other people uh, perceive them um, because for some unknown reason we care far too much about what other people think about us and given social media and, and you know life nowadays these kids are, are worrying about that stuff so um, yeah, the world is very, very small at Now, moving on from, from this, what, this amazing conversation, we can talk about the fantastic news that you are returning as a playing <laughs> cricketer. Yes. Happy days. This summer, we will be seeing Sarah Taylor in the 100, playing for Welsh Fire, if I'm not mistaken. I, um, I need to learn some Welsh. <laughs> are you excited? Do you share Welsh, yeah. <laughs> about the Welsh, about the cricket. No, I am. I, I like it. I, I just want to enjoy it. I know yeah. I've probably bring it back myself, to the roots. Yes, I know I've probably thrown myself right into the deep end because it's still televised. Good one, Sarah. But um, look, I am going to be playing alongside the best player in the world. So I'm quite happy about that. I'm not playing against her for the first yeah, time. Yeah, that could ever. be. That's a good news. Yes. Good to uh, have an ally from the other side of the world. Yeah, I'm so fed up of playing against her and us, like, and her just kind of destroying us. So. Um, <laughs> I'm obviously playing uh, with Meg Lanning. Beth Mooney is one of the best T20 players uh, in the world at the minute. So obviously her to come to the 100 is amazing. Um, we've got a little leg spinner, George Wareham, who is, her stats are unreal for someone so young. So look, I've got those players um, as allies, like you say. And, you know, I can just go out there and enjoy myself um, running around in the field or keeping no matter what happens. It should just be good fun. I just want it to be fun. And that's all I want. We've got a good young team. I just want that. And looking at the 100 as well, though, this is an amazing opportunity for cricket in general to keep driving the conversation in equality. Because for the first time, we've got 
men's and women's cricket being played on an equal level, on the same platforms, on the same day. And I think that's really exciting as well. It is. It's massive. And I think it's, although, um, to be fair, I think, and I might be wrong, don't, don't quote me. But well, well, shame we're <laughs> recording this, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, that this, I think, will be a massive push for women's cricket. This is a massive platform for the push and the, I don't know, what's the word? The, well, I guess it is a push, isn't it? The kind of pushing forward of professionalism in women's cricket and the fact that we can be on an equal footing with the guys, um, that's huge. That is massive for us. We, every single one of our players that are, being, that are playing are paid and that is unbelievable. I think the prize money is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nice. Um, and I, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, yeah, it's just an exciting tournament. It's different. It's fast-paced. It's, it's, it'll be buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And um, even the build-up, Everything uh, to do with the tournament has been has been huge and fun, and that's what I think the tournament's going to be about. Because I think, look, the more fun we have, I think the better cricket you'll see. So, yeah, look, I'm I'm very happy for some of the youngsters that are coming through that are you know finally getting their just rewards uh, in order to play cricket professionally. Well, and most importantly, I hope you like hula hoops. I love hula hoops. <laughs> for anyone listening, that's the Welsh Fire sponsor on the shirt. <laughs> I mean, I look. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Pop chips were up there, aren't they? So pretty decent. Oh, I'll be careful what you say. <laughs> no, just no, hula hoops. Hula hoops are key. Oh, no, them. but that's really. I I completely agree with what you were saying about uh, this this stage, this platform, everything. Well, almost everything on it is the same, and it's a real push and a real drive for what the future can hold within cricket. And also I hope that this can be reflected in other sports now. And even at, at, at grassroots level, you know, we talk about, you know, I'm, I'm looking at school, a school in September as well. And it's a prep school and there's the, the boys and the girls cricket. Now that's the sport in the summer. They play exactly the same. And that's really exciting as well. Yeah. Uh, and things like that. And so I think this is only a, a further thing that can help drive other aspects of of sport but indeed everything else as well because it's not just it's a workplace ultimately and we can hopefully get this reflected all over so it's a really important conversation and platform to see this and i can't wait for the hundred to start you're so passionate i am passionate of course i am of course i am um so what what does the future hold for you then following Mm -hmm. on from big question of course but what does the future hold after the hundred after this summer we're going to stay at beads more coaching Yes and yes. I think um, I look. I love beads. I can't. Beads have been amazing for me. Um, I won't leave beads for quite a while. I don't think um, the people, the team, because we're a sports team. Um, the team that I'm part of, um, I owe a lot to. Uh, really do. So I won't be leaving there for a very long time. Who knows where the coaching side of things can take me? Um, I would love by the end of summer to have some grip on my agoraphobia so I can start traveling again. I'd hope that the country is in a place where we can start traveling again. Um, And who knows if there is gigs elsewhere for a keeping coach, I would love to explore them. That would be a good, that would be a dream. Um, But I am the cricket side of things. We'll see how this summer goes. (laughs) We'll see how I pull up. 
Well, um, the most important thing is to enjoy yourself. I think that's exactly. what we can reflect on, on from everything that we've talked about. The most important thing is just go out there and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And, and not, I'm not going to worry what other people think, say, mm. criticise, even the sometimes applaud it, so I find a little bit hard to deal with. But yeah, look, I am just going to try and enjoy myself. That's the best thing. Oh, brilliant. I mean, there's so much that we haven't talked about in terms of press and media and a variety of other things, but it's magnificent. Thank you so much. I've got my final question that I ask every guest that comes on the podcast. Okay. What does the word headstrong mean to you? Ooh, headstrong. That's a good question. Should have done my research. Um, headstrong. Headstrong for me is having um, the capabilities to be able to deal with what's in front of you. That would be, for me, what Headstrong is. Um, yeah, when I talk about my mental energy, I feel like I'm in a, when I'm in a good place and I have that energy and it's full, um, I feel headstrong because I can tackle what, what's, what's coming uh, in front of me. Um, that might be completely off, but that is my interpretation of being headstrong. Not at all. I think that's absolutely spot on. And, and the best thing about that question is everyone has a different answer. And there is no right answer, in my opinion. You know, again, it's about down to an opinion. You know, everyone's allowed to have their own unique interpretation of what that word means. So thank you. I really, I think that, that, that's a very poignant definition. Sarah, thank you so much for this. I hugely appreciate it. Um, I've loved it. I think it's a really, really important conversation. And I hope that people continue to speak out. And I really hope that you have a great summer. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, in every aspect of things and we will see you on the other side no doubt will hopefully we can do this again sometime of course i would love to thank you so much we are supporting the ruth strauss foundation with headstrong and innings with sir andrew strauss lost his wife to non-smoking lung cancer in 2018 just before her death Ruth and Andrew discussed the idea of setting up a foundation to help other families who would be facing a similar ordeal. The Ruth Strauss Foundation wants to ensure that all families with dependent children facing the death of a parent are offered emotional support and guidance to prepare for the future, allowing them to make the most of their time together. In tandem, they are driving the need for more research and collaboration in the fight against non-smoking lung cancers, which are on the rise and to which Ruth ultimately lost her life. You can support their cause by making a donation today. To donate, text RSF10 to 70191 to donate £10. Or you can donate online at virginmoneygiving.com forward slash fund forward slash headstrong forward slash RSF. Thank you for all your support of Headstrong and the Ruth Strauss Foundation. And that is it for this episode of Headstrong. I just want to extend my thanks to Sarah for coming onto the podcast and being so open and honest to tell such an inspiring story, which I hope you have all enjoyed. To donate £10 to the Ruth Strauss Foundation, please text RSF10 to 70191. Every little helps. Now, if you have enjoyed this podcast, feel free to hit subscribe, go leave a rating and a review. All of that helps me too along the way and along this podcast journey. I will see you next week for another inspiring story and another definition of what the word headstrong means.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.